0: This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries, and today we have a special guest. Her name is Elena Percival, and she runs a really cool group called Women Who Code. I think the name is self-evident. She is the CEO of this operation. Elena, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Albert.
0: Okay. If someone's listening and can't figure out what Women Who Code does, why don't you tell us real quick, what is Women Who Code? What do you guys do?
1: I'm so glad that you asked. Uh, Women Who Code (laughs) is a nonprofit, and our mission is to empower diverse women to excel in technology careers. So that means the average age of our members is 30. We are the largest and most active community of diverse women technologists. So we're serving over 300,000 members across 147 countries. And when I say we're the most active, one of our programs is producing events. And we produce an average of five free technical events every single day throughout the year.
0: Wait, wait, restate that last fact. That's pretty impressive. (laughs) How many events? (laughs) What did you just say? You said five, what?
1: Yeah. Five free technical events every single day throughout the year.
0: That is crazy. That's crazy. And what is a technical event for someone who's listening who may not be familiar?
1: So um, with 300,000 members and putting on close to 2,000 uh, per year, it can mean many different things. But Women Who Code has focuses in a few key areas of technology, like mobile development, um, cloud, uh, front end, uh, data science. You know, Python is is really big with our community. And uh, we're going to be doing more and more with security next year. That's been a, a big push from our community and from our sponsors. and it's a language agnostic organization, whatever your interest is, go to our YouTube channel, come check out one of our live events. We're going to be doing something that you're interested in. And if we're not, you could get involved in volunteering and, um, you know, maybe giving a talk on your more niche or up and coming topic.
0: Listen, when you, when you say, and I'm curious now, it's like the, this is, cause this is fascinating. There's a, that's a lot of events to put on. I've put on one event once and I knew the logistics behind that. That was challenging. So we're going to have to dive into how you do this at scale. But for our audience, when you say these are technical events, I'm assuming that it means like you're actually teaching users how to do the things of which the subject matter is. And I'm assuming also that you have different levels. So from, let's say I'm a novice with no technical experience to maybe I'm more versed and I'm trying to get deeper into my subject matter. Give us an idea of like the range of, I guess, skill that is required to go to one of these events. Let's start there.
1: So- Our core focus is people who are in technical roles already, helping them to continue to upskill in new technologies, but also to build leadership skills. So our average event is actually going to be targeting someone who is already a software engineer. So it's going to be at least a little more advanced, but we certainly have some beginner level content and we gave away over $400,000 in scholarships in twenty twenty. And so those are really helping the people who are transitioning into the tech industry. So we know even the Women Who Codes community is incredibly diverse. We want to encourage more women to enter the field, more diverse women um, to get access to this amazing career path. And we know that that isn't actually what Women Who Code does best you know, starting from scratch and learning to code, becoming a software engineer often takes more of a cohort approach, more comprehensive course approach. Whereas a software engineer can teach themselves a new programming language, you know, over the weekend, it takes just time and some, you know, motivation to invest in yourself. And that, that is really where um, women who code thrives with our community.
0: Yeah. I'm listening to this and these numbers and I start, my mind starts immediately racing, which is, how this problem has existed and how it's changed and transformed. Because to an outsider, when we hear like, hey, we want to bring more women into the software engineering, the first question I have is like, if you're not familiar with the problems, like why is it even a problem to begin with? How does this happen? In your experience, because you've now dealt with this for, you know, since 2011, and you've brought up so many engineers and helped upskill many people. When you start thinking about it like what is has something fundamentally changed is this something that maybe back in the day women felt was closed off to them or it's becoming more accepting or is it is there's just more knowledge that's being passed like what has culturally shifted in your mind that says hey the, there's more people wanting to do this now than ever before
1: i mean i think that is just a, a truth for um for everyone um every industry is becoming a technology industry if you look at you know, any list out there of top jobs in that you can have, and it's based on like quality of life, opportunity, pay, you know, a, a variety of things. Almost half of them are going to be in the technology field on that list. And so right now it's just one of the most important um, careers that people can be pursuing and excelling in. And I think it's so critical to be supporting more women on this path. And we can get next to the lack of representation and the underrepresentation of of women in the tech industry. But with all industries becoming technology industries, we are going to start seeing more and more leaders of those organizations having technical backgrounds. So you think back to, you know, 20 years ago, the people who were in the C-suite, they were Coming a more traditional business path, you know, having an accounting degree, maybe some legal experience. And, um, you know, those business people are the ones on the top. But right now, it's as critical for executives to have an understanding and be protecting the data security of their organization as it is for them to be supporting their financial security. And they're very intertwined. And going forward, we're going to just see more and more people having that technical experience in the background. So when you switch to looking at who is um, in our technology uh, workforce, who's leading in the technology workforce, women are accounting for around a quarter of that right now, but they're representing about half of the population. So we know that there's a big underrepresentation right there. We also have, many of us have heard the there's more men named John in the Fortune 500 C-suite than there are women all all together of of all names. (laughs) And so it's really important to to me and to women who code that we see women excelling in the tech technology industry thriving in the industry into their pathways to success so that we start to have that stronger representation across all areas of leadership.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing I love about what you're doing also is it's been a challenge for a while, but it's also you guys are doing it on the foundations of this is a meritocracy. We're giving people the skills to prove that they can be there. When you think about when you first started, what percentage of the popu- of the tech group, let's say, do you think was represented by women at the when you started. Because you mentioned it's like getting to a quarter now. That, like it's pretty exciting. Well, what what do you think was there before?
1: Yeah. So I mean, when you look back at the late 80s, early 90s, actually women had a higher representation in, in the tech industry. Really. And even if we're seeing more numbers of women entering um the tech industry, there's more people in general entering the the tech industry. And so what was happening, you know, back in in the late 80s, early nineties is All of the marketing around computers was targeted at at boys, Um, video games, pop culture. If you can imagine any movie portraying someone who was a software engineer, you know, up until probably the past five, 10 years, they were a hacker. They were in their basement, uh, their parents' basement, in in their own basement. It was (laughs) subversive. And the reality is, is this is one of the top careers to Pursue, you know, you're actually working. I mean, pre-COVID, in amazing offices with all of these incredible perks and um, getting to work in really collaborative environments. And that isn't what was being told and portrayed to young women and girls over the past thirty years. So, you know, you are told over and over again, you're, you know, girls aren't good in math. You know, this is this we're we're targeting this um, computer game for for boys, and so. What we need to do now is focus on multiple fronts. So, you know, change that pop culture perception, but also recognize and um, work to overcome the systemic challenges, those biases that women face in the workforce so that you don't see 50 percent of women leaving at the 10 year mark right when, you know, we really should be thinking about promoting them and having them take on leadership um, levels in their in their career
0: you know, I'm a girl dad myself. And it was one of those things where when someone made a comment to me before I had a daughter that, oh, the social norms or whatever, like, for example, just like you mentioned, like in toys and in advertisements, don't steer girls towards science and technology. And growing up as a boy, I don't have a bro. I don't have sisters. I just have a brother. I didn't notice it. Mm -hmm. And then when, now that I have a daughter, I like, I definitely pay attention. I try to look for these things. When you think of what Makes women who code special, and you made, mentioned before five technical programs a day, two over two thousand a year. What makes, I guess, your program unique that it that it says, "Hey, we we are accounting for these potential societal differences or pressures or whatever they may be that women are flocking towards, or they really w- want to take advantage of." What do you? What special pro? What specialties are you guys providing in your programs, and also, what are you teaching? the other companies that want to upskill their employees. Because you mentioned earlier, upskilling is a big thing. Cybersecurity, mm-hmm. you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Huge thing that's been on the topic of uh, concern on the show, which is that these fields are completely uh, lacking in numbers. There's not enough labor force to handle the amount of jobs that are that are opening all the time. Mm-hmm. And so when you think of like how you're bringing people up, bringing women up to learn these skills, to continue to add, you mentioned before that 50% dropout rate at the 10-year mark. Obviously, the goal is to keep people in these fields. What makes women who code, I guess, special in your in your words?
1: Yeah. So, what we're doing is approaching it in three ways. First, we are um, providing that technical content and technical training, and we are also um, providing leadership development. So, women they face bias and going from that individual contributor to their first leadership role because they have to prove that they have the skills. There's a bias against promoting them based on their potential, where men get often promoted based on their potential and women are getting promoted based on demonstrated skills. And so we create a space for, you know, those close to 2000 talks. Many of them are being delivered by incredible technologists who just happen to be diverse women. And so it's a space for you to become a role model, elevate your profile, connect um, as a leader in the tech industry, be able to go back and put that on, you know, in your um, annual check-in with with, um, your your manager and, you know, speak to your KPI. So it gives you a place to practice leadership and use that in your career. And then also just a, a space for creating a sense of belonging. Having that sense of belonging really helps you to be reminded that there's so many incredible, talented women in the industry. And when you have that there, you have that support network. And so when you do face bias, you know, in the workforce or on your career path, you have a space to check in and be reminded um, that you do belong or help to externalize it. It's, it's, It's really damaging when bias is internalized as as something that you are doing. And one of the things that always um, stands out for me is a woman who's an executive and involved in the organization. She told me a story about when she was speaking with a French man and he was like, oh, I've never had to explain architecture to a woman before. And she was like, it's the same, please proceed. (laughs) And (laughs) that was really easy to externalize. Like there was clear sexism in that statement and she didn't need to say, you know, maybe there's something wrong with me and carry that forward. But if someone says, you know, I just think that um, you're not going to make the right, like leader for our organization, or I really think this person's going to make a better leader, you know, even far more subtle things, it's very difficult to unpack those and realize, Actually, we've got all these cultural and societal biases that are like playing into this. And it's not actually that you're not going to make a great leader. It's that our society hasn't set us up to see what incredible leader you're going to be.
0: I, now I got to ask, so what do you teach people in, in order to overcome those? Because right now, like I mentioned, I mentioned just a moment ago, you know, I'm a girl dad. My daughter is only seven or eight years old, but I'm already trying to encourage her to say like, no, if someone says you're not, because she's one of the better students at math. Uh, she's actually good at math and spelling. I got tutor her own home. Go, go Isla. She won her, uh, she won her spelling bee for her age group, which I was excited by. Uh, not the national. So we're not that good yet, but still, <laughs> but like when she gets confronted with these things, I I tell her all the times, like, who cares what people think? You know, and that's what like a typical dad mode. I'm like, no, like these people that are going to tell you, you can't do something. Don't listen to them. You can just, just keep pushing through, but I don't really have any good advice other than like, deal with it. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> cause I, I agree. I don't think you're going to stop or change societal norms
1: mm-hmm.
0: quickly. Right. So mm-hmm. what kind of career advice, cause you mentioned before women who could also provides leadership training, what kind of advice do you give to people who have to, you know, to the women who are, like you said, faced with these things on a daily basis?
1: Yeah, so our leadership model is around eight mindsets that are specifically for technologists to develop to help them become uh, technology leaders. So most, um, you know, leadership mindset training is really around supporting people who are on like that, that sales, that marketing, that business path, and that doesn't resonate with technologists. And so our ours is really crafted around the mindsets that you need to develop as technologists to become leaders in in the technology field. And we also give you a space to practice it and really emphasize that you don't take a class and say, like, check, now I know how to be a leader. It's really about creating a space to to practice leadership, to map out what your goals are, create accountability for yourself, and um, continue to work towards it. So our volunteer program is by far and away, our program that I'm absolutely most proud of. So when you step up as a leader, um, a volunteer with Women Who Code, you have the opportunity to practice leadership. And that is you're organizing projects, you're giving talks, you're connecting with other people in the community and sometimes um, with um, supporters of of Women Who Code. And it um, really helps you to lean into leadership. And some of the outcomes of doing this uh, leadership practices in under one year, you know, promotions, pay increases, channels of dialogue open up to executives inside of your organization. I've seen people get awards, book deals, uh, media mentions by stepping up and practicing leadership. And there's a lot to it, but it's also largely doing it, realizing that you can do it, and having the you know the space in the audience that is right for practicing this. And I'll I'll tell you a story that to me, was one of the most simple examples of um, of becoming and practicing a leader. We had a woman who um, was in our San Francisco network, and she'd been coming to our events for a while. This was pre-2020, so we were doing close to 2,000 in-person events back then. And one day, the leader was just running late. And so she was like, oh, you know, I've been coming for a while. I can stand up at the front of the room, give everyone the instructions, talk them through how the evening's going to go. And she said that, you know, she stood in the front of that room for, you know, a very short amount of time. And in her mind, there was just a transition of, oh, I could do this. I I can be a leader as well. And within the audience, you know, the 35 uh, people who were there to participate in the event that day, immediately their mindset switched as well, seeing her standing at the front of the room. And so sometimes it's being brave and putting yourself forward and being willing to be in a leadership role. And sometimes it's the audience around you recognizing your leadership
0: that is great you know what I mean with the the, st- the stats that you just kind of laid for us laid out for us about people getting promotions people that are changing careers people that are sending to leadership roles these are all phenomenal things and as you just suggested hey sometimes it takes that one chance that one try for you to prove to someone else or maybe to yourself that you absolutely can and when I, we did our homework on women who code on LinkedIn over 330 people say they work with you there's over 130,000 people following your organization but before it got to this size it was just a dream and an idea so i'm going to walk us back elena what were you thinking before starting this were you noticing this problem or did i mean you i'm sure you noticed this problem that's a bad question but like what made you want to solve this problem i guess that's that's the bigger question because i think we all see problems in our fields every day but only a handful will step up and say hey I think I have a solution and then even less will actually step forward and say I'm going to do it so when you before <laughs> before you had 5 classes a day mm-hmm. you were probably planning your first class <laughs> walk us back to that moment what were you doing when you were like okay I'm going to be an agent of change in getting more women to get roles in tech or get you know promotions in tech or just enter the field period
1: yeah So Women Who Code started off as a a meetup group in San Francisco, and I I got involved in it and pretty quickly saw that my background in organizational management and community building kind of allowed me to be running a lot of the the operations behind it. We spent about a year and a half as just a meetup group, this like small community that felt like a secret, this incredible culture, secret club, (laughs) you know, it was like we were spending time together. And what happened is Around the end of our t- 2012, people started talking about teaching girls to code and teaching women to code. And we were uh, a community of people in the industry. And this amazing conversation of teach women to code and teach girls to code actually sounded like a threat to women in the industry, who I was hearing over and over again say, you know, I'm constantly asked if I'm the secretary or if I'm, you know, there to visit someone. And, you know, I'm a software engineer. I'm, I'm constantly having to prove that I'm as technical as I actually am. And so this amazing conversation of teach girls to code and teach women to code, which we need. I realized we needed to elevate the needs and the biases that women in industry were facing so that we were supporting each piece of the pipeline. Because the fastest and easiest way to create greater equality for women and girls in the tech industry is by supporting change and the women in the industry to be successful and thrive. That incredible talent, keep them there, help them identify and um, take their paths to success so that when, you know, when your daughter is entering the workforce and, you know, 10 years, 15 years, she's coming into an industry where she has role models where she's not coming up against these systemic barriers that women are facing today Um, and, you know, having a chance to stay in her career and reach her potential.
0: So when you first, you know, that moment when you were like, you know, it's a meetup group where you have the, you're seeing the effects, you're hearing the conversations and you're saying, Hey, we got to start this up. I guess, what were those first months, days, what were they like? Did you know from the very get go, like, Hey, I'm going to teach a class or you had people that were going to teach a class, I guess, what were the first steps to getting towards, a towards your goal that after you, uh, you know, you set up women who code and then what was the next, I guess the first thing you guys did. And also I'd love to hear, how did you know it was going to work?
1: I, uh, you know, I, 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 am not sure that I, had this moment of i know it, it's going to work i remember deciding to leave my job and just thinking to myself i'll still be employable in 6 months you know if i <laughs> if i change my mind on this and just going for it and what i didn't have in mind necessarily was you know we're going to keep doing more events but i knew that what we had in san francisco in this kind of like private community was incredible. And that women all over the world deserve to have it too. And that we needed to be elevating and leaning in on messages to support women in the industry to thrive um, there. So that critical piece of the pipeline, seeing women make it to leadership um, was, was being supported and nurtured.
0: Yeah. Give us an idea you know, along the way, there certainly saw a renewed vigor and interest. And then along the way, you had to expand yourself, right? You were in San Francisco. What was, I guess, the first city you expanded to outside of San Fran?
1: Yeah. Moving out of San Francisco, we um, we went into Boulder, Denver. Um, and then the first international city that we went to was Colima, Mexico. We'd gone to I think our first event where we had a table, Heroku had um, like given us a table at uh, RailsConf. And we met some people who were at a engineering firm down in like Manzanillo, Colima, Mexico. And my co-founder, she's from the US, but of, of Mexican descent. And I remember we, we met on the dance floor and they heard about what Woman Who Code and was like, wow, we want this as well. And it just started to really snowball from, from that point, almost growing faster than um, we as a team could could uh, keep up with organizationally. And what's really led to its success is the incredible volunteers that Women Who Code has had, giving Women Who Code a, um, a, a hand up uh, throughout the way. And even though they are the ones that I've said since the beginning, they are And should be the ones getting the most out of it because they're getting to practice the leadership. They're the ones who are bringing it to the community. They're localizing it, just having a, a tremendous impact on, on the communities that they help lead.
0: Yeah, this is something that is on the top of minds of many of the tech leaders we're interviewing on the show. So one of the things we absolutely know for certain is twenty twenty three is a year of economic uncertainty at best, right? Like most people think the recession is coming. Some people are more hopeful, uh, but things are changing pretty fast, right? And along with that is going to be a desire to reskill, upskill. That's a fact. Whenever there's a labor change or labor demand change, most people, a lot of people, start looking for more skill, looking for more technical competencies that they can bring to their next employer, wherever, whenever that or wherever that might be. For yourself, what do you see changing the in the landscape of the next, let's say, just one to two years? What are you and your team starting to prepare for? Because I have a feeling that the demands for your technical courses is about to shoot through the roof.
1: Yeah. So programmatically, um, when there's an economic downturn, when there's layoffs, it isn't just the people who get laid off, who start really thinking about their careers, thinking about investing in career skills, it's everyone. Um, and so programmatically, we see a lot of engagement when you know, you feel uncertain at your company if your morale is low, if there's been layoffs in the broader workforce. So from a programmatic perspective, engineers who are usually so hard to reach actually become a little bit more open to hearing about, um, about job opportunities and investing in themselves from a career perspective. And so to everyone out there who is thinking about their hiring goals for um 2023 should definitely be putting um designing for inclusion at the center because this is that moment when that unicorn who would never get back to you because she has 40 people um reaching out to her every week that's when you know being involved with organizations like women who code and, and other organizations who are of um and building uh this community are are most important to be connecting with Working with a, as partners to be posting your your best technical jobs to to the community. It's actually your your best chance for really making those um, those key hires that are usually harder to reach.
0: Yeah, that you bring up an interesting point because this is something that a lot of the tech leaders that have been on the show also talk about is you know recruiting. Recruiting is obviously a very challenging uh, domain where there's many there's not enough workers. That's just the fact is there's not enough workers uh, in these technical fields. Have you started seeing an influx of, let's say, company or corporate recruiters wanting to be more part and supportive of women who code? Because I feel like it's a two-pronged success, right? If I, like, for example, we mentioned cybersecurity earlier, but if I'm a cybersecurity company and I want more cybersecurity workers, I would probably nominate some of my top, I would want to like sponsor a workshop with you. I feel like I would want mm-hmm. to be like, yeah, let's do a workshop. I want to get more people interested in this field because I need more work. Mm-hmm. We need the talent. People want to learn these skills. It feels like a win-win-win everywhere, but, but give us an idea if that's what you're seeing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say without naming any names, there was a a well known company that announced layoffs and bought job posts with us the following week. So there are companies that are are definitely thinking about that. It really takes people at the top um, reminding the organization that inclusion matters in these moments of of economic uncertainty, because when it comes down to um, to making hires it has it has to be a priority and um the companies that we we see do the best um with women who code are the ones that that actually partner so not just posting to our job board but if you have a partnership we're elevating role models from your your company inside of our organization you can target people because you say hey you know, if I'm looking to hire mobile engineers, I'm going to have someone from mobile be the person who's giving a talk. And people see that individual and they say, oh, I want to work with that person. Um, you know, it, and you just happen to have the job posts uh, available at that time. But companies and our, our community really wants to uh, see companies valuing and, and, and putting strategy and things that are transparent around supporting diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging.
0: No, that is, that is fantastic. For yourself, what advice would you give to, let's imagine someone out there, she wants to become the next big time tech leader. What advice would you give to them right now? If they, if they haven't ever attended your workshop, what would you recommend that they take? What what skills do you think they should dive into? Because you, you kind of hinted at it before, but I want to make sure that we're, we're sharing the same message, which is that you have, you have the ability to teach in Many dimensions. Like it sounds like you know you mentioned before that you got the technical skill courses, but also the soft skill courses, the leadership, the management, maybe public speaking. I'm making that up, but I'm guessing that's part of it. Give us an idea of what you think the big skills. If you're if you're a female technical lead right now, what are the big skills courses or things that they should work on if they want to be the next tech leader?
1: Yeah. So if you are you know a, a strong technologist currently and you're interested in in choosing a a leadership pathway. Even if you're wanting to continue on a pure technical path, elevating your profile, whether that's writing a technical blog, giving technical talks, demonstrating and building up leadership skills, it's going to create greater connections for you. It's going to help you to practice so that when you do apply or get invited to be a keynote speaker, you, you have that experience of, um, of giving those, those talks. And we are a great space to, to practice that. So I invite you all to join us.
0: Well, you make me feel good because I feel like I'm telling my daughter the right thing, which is that she needs to just do it. Like, just try, you know what I mean? Be out there. Like you said, build that profile. I see a lot more of that nowadays. Like, for example, I see uh, a lot of technical leaders. Of course, they put their like, you know, like their GitHub repositories or their Stack Overflow profiles of which questions they are answering more often in their, their resumes, let's say, or their social profiles. They want me to make sure people know that, hey, I have the skill. And so I think that's great advice. Elena, I want to say thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing some of the things that you're up to at Women Who Code. Listen, the number you said was mind-boggling already to me because five events a day, like I said, I've done one event a year and I thought that was challenging. So (laughs) I don't know. Your team is killing it. No doubt about it. And I guess, and I believe you're probably going to do more next year. I'm I'm, I'm putting that out there right now. I think you will, whether you want to or not. I think the demand is just going to be too ferocious for the things that you offer. You know, one of the things that we do here at IT Visionaries is we also want to get to know a little bit more about you outside of work. And that means it's time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. You already heard they gave Heroku gave a you know a spot to Elena in her story at the top. So big shout out to our sponsors. Listen, Elena, this is where we ask you questions. Like I said, outside of the world of work, so our audience can get to know you a little bit better. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right. You mentioned on Twitter that you love chocolate. Is this a fact?
1: It is dark milk is my favorite
0: dark milk chocolate. Give us a brand. If I if you if I haven't tried this, I should try.
1: I'm good with any any dark milk. It's got the dark bitter notes of a uh, uh, dark chocolate, but the creaminess of a milk.
0: Okay, so what percentage of cacao should that need to be? Is like the seventy percent? I think 75? it needs to be at
1: least like forty five percent or more. But it's usually like forty five to sixty percent.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Cause I've had some 80 and, higher, and I, I I didn't like it that much. <laughs>
1: that sounds like dark. Yeah. <laughs> dark milk is the way to go. You got to give it a, give it a try.
0: Are you a big reader?
1: Um, I'm more on the audio book side. Uh, currently I've got two small toddlers. And so what can I like be cleaning the house and, uh, and reading, but yes, I would say probably at least two books a month.
0: That is a lot to me. What's an audiobook you recommend for just pure enjoyment? Nothing career.
1: <laughs> pure enjoyment. Um, I like mysteries. Um, and so I'm, I like, I don't know, the Harlan Coben novels. There you go. Or <laughs> <laughs> there, something you're in about.
0: For yourself, you mentioned just a moment ago that you have two toddlers. Are you going to encourage them to enter a technical field? Or are you like other parents that are like, hey, whatever you choose, you choose?
1: Whatever they choose, they choose, but there's one that's clearly on the technical path and one that's clearly on the sales and negotiation path. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds
0: like the sales and negotiator gives you a little bit harder of a time.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, it's just the beginning of the conversation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) On LinkedIn, you mentioned that you've lived in and or worked in over 80 countries. Are there any countries that you have a special place in your memories uh, and why?
1: Yeah, um, so I I lived in Germany for four years, so that's probably the the other country that holds a a very special place um, for me. But I um, had the opportunity to study in Brazil and and France as well, and so those are two other places that are pretty meaningful. But I think every everywhere is special for its own reason and kind of continues to stand out. And I I just get little glimpses of it, just like even in my world and my life where I live I just I just have a little glimpse of <laughs> of what's out there
0: that's awesome I, yeah I agree I, I always remember whether it's good or bad something from each country that's unique have you ever been to Australia
1: I haven't no <laughs>
0: okay so the only I always mention this I, the only city I've been to in Australia is Sydney and the one thing that stuck out the most number one it's very much like North America I mean it wasn't really that different but there's a lot of rules in australia like the, like everything you do in australia it feels like there's a lot of rules and uh so that's that's something that that was surprising to me because i view australia as like it looks like this rebel nation i don't know you know because of its founding history <laughs> but when i got there like, <laughs> hey, this place is like to do any type of experience like to hear like the, the you know how before you do something they typically run through like the rules and the caution mm-hmm. it's a lot <laughs> It's hard to do stuff. In Australia. <laughs> that, was my, that was my impression. But anyways, Elena, it was awesome having you on the show. Thanks for sharing all the things that you do. For those who want to check it out, check the show notes below. We'll link you to Women Who Code. Anything you want to particularly plug, Elena, coming up in, the, in 2023 that you would like our audience to be familiar with?
1: Yeah. Um, it costs us $27 to provide free programming to a member for an entire year. And for every woman of the 50% uh, that are likely to leave that we can retain in the tech industry, it represents a $1.7 million lifetime earnings increase for her. So if you're thinking about where to donate or what organization to support this year, every $27 has a potential outcome of $1.7 million for a diverse woman and her family.
0: I mean, that's pretty good ROI right there. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's pretty good that's pretty good roi okay that is awesome that's off today's numbers so we'll see in the future what that entails elaine it's been awesome having you on the show thanks for sharing all the things that you do and we're really excited for all of these uh, success stories that you know you will you have told and you will continue to tell
1: thank you so much
0: awesome